It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Good Saturday morning. It's going to be a busy holiday weekend, guys. Welcome to Green and Growing. Of course, I'm your host, Ashley Frasca, with you for the next three hours, a full show today. We're going to be talking about keeping deer out of your landscape. A lot of you are going to want to tune in for that at 7.30. Pike Nursery along at 8.30 this morning, talking about mosquito control because, yeah, it's wet again. We've actually had some rain. Who knew? But starting off the show, you know, around Earth Day, I think I interviewed the executive director for Live Thrive, Peggy Whitlow-Radcliffe. And we talked about Charm, the Center for Hard to Recycle Materials in Atlanta. And I love environmental stuff like that. So something that came out from Mercedes-Benz Stadium caught my eye recently. And sharing people and organizations doing good for the environment. So now I have with me Andrew Bohanko, Mercedes-Benz Stadium Sustainability Coordinator, to share some cool stuff that you've probably never even thought of while you're enjoying a concert or sporting event at Mercedes-Benz. Hey, Andrew, welcome to the show. Hi, Ashley. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is really, really cool, and I'm proud of you guys, and I'm going to let you brag on Mercedes-Benz Stadium here in just a minute. But folks probably have been to the stadium or at least driven by it. That venue can hold 70,000-plus concert goers, football, soccer fans at any given time. And as you can imagine, a lot of trash and a lot of waste is produced. But I've got Andrew here with me to uh, to talk about that a little bit. And Andrew, you all sent out a press release uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium is the first stadium to earn true pre-certification for zero waste. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but it sounds really exciting and good for the environment. What's going on? What are you guys doing? So what true certification is, is it's a way to comprehensively look at how buildings are operating in terms of their zero waste efforts and how they're using their resources and how they're efficiently recycling those resources. The the true certification is brought to you by the Green Business Certification, and that is um, a council that is put together to look at and to monitor how businesses are greening their their infrastructure. So the true zero waste pre-certification shows that we have all the processes in place that we're giving sustainability 101 tours to our employees to educate them on what we're doing in the building so they can better understand how the building operates in terms of resource recovery. Um, It shows that we are capturing our diversion data so that we have those processes in place so that when we get to the point where we are achieving zero waste on a consistent basis, we can go for that full true certification. And I mean, does that mean, you know, just trying to get fans and and employees on board with recycling everything that they can, be it beer cans or plastic bottles, or does it go a little bit further than that? It goes further than that. So we want to do that for the fans. So we wanted to make it as easy as possible for the fans. And so within our, within our stadium, we have a twin bin system. So if you walk around the stadium, you'll notice that there aren't any landfill bins, any fan-facing landfill bins within the stadium. And that means that when they walk up to one of these twin bins, they'll see a sign that says recycle bottles and cans and compost everything else. Hmm. All of our aluminum bottles, all of our 
um, plastic, Dasani water bottles, all those get sorted down in our resource recovery area, and then they're sent out of the stadium in single streams. Anything that's given to a fan that's a boat for sushi or for a hot dog or a wrapper for a hamburger, all of that is compostable material, and that wow. goes into our compost stream, and that also is sent out in a single stream. But we want to go further than that. So we encourage our employees to sign a green pledge that has nine things ranging from simple things to next level. And the simpler things are something as simple as turning off all the lights when you leave a room, reducing the amount of printing that you have. And then next level things are looking back at the supply chain when you order fan fan items that might be fan giveaways and things like that. That's really fantastic. And when you say like resource recovery, you know, say the recyclable bottles and things go down, you said, is there like a full-time staff that is just dedicated to that recovery effort or does everybody kind of pitch in? It is. So we have 14 to 16 people after an event that will be sorting overnight to recover all of those materials. We don't like to call it a waste dock because we are not wasting anything down there. We're trying to recover as much of the material that's coming through the stadium as possible. So those 14 to 16 people, depending on the size of the event, will start sorting through our waste as it comes down post-event, and then they will continue to sort through that until all of the waste from the 70,000 people that enter the stadium is all exited the stadium in single streams. Fantastic. Now, I'm talking to Andrew Bohanko, the sustainability coordinator for Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Some pretty cool things going on there. And now, Andrew, bigger picture, I remember going on a media tour when um, the stadium was still under construction, like early 2017. And I understood then, like, y'all are the first professional sports venue were at the time in North America to reach the highest leadership and energy and environmental design that's LEED, uh, the green building rating system. So, like you said, there's levels. There's platinum, there's gold, there's silver. Explain to people what that means as far as like how the stadium was constructed with being environmentally conscious in mind. Being environmentally conscious started at the inception of the building. There's three big parts to that. There's energy, there's waste, and there's water. So the waste obviously starts to happen once the building is opened and we start to have fans, but the energy and the water happened when they were designing the building. So we worked with a partnership with Georgia Power to install 4,000 solar panels around the grounds of the stadium. And those 4,000 solar panels have the ability to generate 1.6 million kilowatts of power. So that goes into that lead platinum status. We also have all waterless urinals throughout the stadium to reduce our water intake. We have um, reduction on our faucets to, to aerate the water as it comes out to reduce the amount of water that's coming out of faucets in the stadium. We also have a water retention system. So we have a 600,000 gallon cistern that collects rainwater that's coming off of our 14 acre roof. Wow. We take that water and then we recycle it through our cooling system to help with the the AC units that power the stadium. That that water is also used to irrigate our urban garden. It's used to irrigate our Home Depot backyard and also our field. And both of the field and the Home Depot backyard have permeable surfaces at the bottom so that water is recollected and then recycled through the cistern again. Now, I remember talking to you about the Home Depot backyard. So now that we're kind of outside the stadium, talking about the solar panels and things like that, 11 acres. And at the time, you know, Mr. Arthur Blank, correct me if I'm wrong, was like, you know what, instead of that being a parking structure, let's make it a green space. It is real grass out there. Um, That just kind of goes to show everybody putting their heads together at the conception of this stadium, trying to make it as environmentally 
you know, conservative as it could be. Uh, what are some of the cool things that go on in the Home Depot backyard for fans and people in the neighborhood? Not only just environmentally conservative, but a space for people to be able to congregate to enjoy the community. So within the Home Depot backyard, it's a great place for tailgating. They also do um, girls flag football out there on some days. They'll do yoga. There's night markets where people can come down and peruse and get different farmers market type materials. They do a... um, movie in the park series throughout the summer so we have different movies that come on out there so those are just some of the events that happen on a daily basis in that home depot backyard all right and andrew obviously it takes a village to have you know like-minded people and partners working on this with you and uh, we talked about georgia power and the solar panels i mentioned charm the center for hard to recycle materials i would imagine coca-cola a huge vendor of y'all's how are those partnerships you know really engaged with you all at mercedes-benz stadium So we work closely with a lot of Georgia companies. Coca-Cola, Delta are obviously two of those larger companies that we work with. And we work with them on different projects to to kind of institute sustainability initiatives within the stadium. Coca-Cola and Delta both helped us get our new Home Depot backyard waste bins that incorporate compost and recycling into those bins, which is something we haven't had out there in the past. We also work with Novellus, which is an aluminum recycler within Georgia. And what we do with them is a program called Recycle for Good, where we take all of the aluminum that we have in the stadium, all of the bottles and cans that come through the stadium, and we donate that to Novellus that takes that money that they get from that aluminum recycling, and they use that to build Habitat for Humanity Houses. Oh, cool. So as of right now, we've donated about 11.7 million cans to Novellus, and that equates to three houses. So it takes about three million cans to to build a house. So we built three houses, and we're just about to finish donating enough cans to build our fourth house. Congratulations. That is really fantastic. See, it's hard for people, I think, Andrew, to think about how these things, these simple things, your one water bottle, your one aluminum can, that can change a life. Yeah, and so that's a great initiative that we have that goes all the way back to the Georgia Dome. And if anybody wants to find out more about that kind of stuff, our MercedesBenzStadium.com website has a sustainability page. So MercedesBenzStadium.com slash sustainability, you can read all about our mega column, which we didn't get a chance to talk about, the halo board, which is a beautiful installation within the stadium, our window to the city, all these kind of things that are incorporated into the stadium that you might not realize we have when you've been to the stadium, next time you can come, you can check those out. So MercedesBenzStadium.com, folks, to learn more and find out some of the really exciting initiatives that uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium has put forth ever since the inception before 2017. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for sharing all of that really good news with us. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much, Ashley. All right. And when we come back, it's the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. All right. You want an update on the weekend weather because you have a lot of outdoor plans. So brought to you by Finley Roofing and Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitz. Scattered thunderstorms. There's always a chance today and tomorrow. Highs in the upper 80s and storms may move in in the afternoon and evening. Just be on the lookout for that. And then rain starts off the work week. Green and Growing. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. 
All right, this is a good one. A lot of you are seeing Japanese beetles, those shiny little green beetles, maybe on roses or crepe myrtles and other plants. But the damage on the leaves of that, they chew the leaves and the leaves will have kind of a veiny skeletal look. I mean, they chew a lot of the leaf out. So not many pesticides are effective. You can try traps and you have to set the traps away from plants that they're prone to because they are going to swarm those traps. So you don't even want to entice them anywhere near the plants that they're getting to. Or better yet, scout out adults and grubs in early spring. And a lot of insecticides are a lot more efficient on the grubs rather than when they're in the adult stage. As a Japanese beetle, you can pick them off. Pick them off and drop them in a bucket of soapy water if you need something for the kids to do. Uh, Number two, planting red, white, and blue. This could not get away from us because it's July 4th weekend. So when you go to the nursery, if you're entertaining and want to spruce up the deck or the patio or the backyard really quickly, think about blue salvia. Uh, Veronica and agapanthus are kind of like a bluish purple. Uh, Hydrangea, of course. Mop head hydrangeas have those fluffy blue mop head blooms right now. Pentas, vinca. Vinca is a nice yellow kind of crawling um, annual, like a bedding annual. Geraniums, And remember to keep potted plants and container gardens watered regularly. Thank God for the rain we've had recently. But all you need to do is just stick your finger in the top layer of soil in those pots. And if your finger comes out dry, it's time to water them. If it's even a little bit wet, no need. And number three, plant pumpkin seeds now through mid-July. That's going to be fun. Yeah, it's time to start thinking about fall. Only plant them about an inch deep and make sure the vines have plenty of room around them. And also, they do better if you mound them just a bit. So if you want to space the seeds apart, but kind of mound that soil, maybe a little bit of mulch and things in a row before you put those seeds in the top, and you're going to have pumpkins come late October, early November. That's going to be fun. If, if you want to do a contest, too, have the kids plant the pumpkin seeds and see uh, whose pumpkin grows quicker. Now, I've gotten a lot of really good questions from all of you lately, things you're noticing in your landscapes and with your vegetable gardens, too. And that was not lost on me, the fact that a lot of you are experiencing the same problems in the vegetable garden. Um, Scott asked, you know, he's got these tomatoes. He got mortgage lifter tomatoes, which are really a fantastic, huge variety of tomatoes. But nonetheless, they're staying green on the vine. It's like they've stalled out. And mine are, too. It's like they've stalled out. They're not ripening. What's going on? So a lot of that is due to the prolonged heat that we had just a couple weeks back. It wasn't it was a very uh, not distant memory, very recent But the prolonged heat, the lack of rain, these vegetable plants are doing what they could to conserve their resources so they couldn't expend any extra energy on the ripening process. So now that we've got cooler nights and the temperature's dropping a little bit, that's going to fire back up that ripening process. So I would go ahead and leave things on the vine as long as you can afford to, especially tomatoes. Really let them start to get that blush color before you take them off. I wouldn't bank on bringing the green tomatoes in and the whole windowsill and trying to get them to ripen that way. There's a lot of interaction that just needs to happen as they're still attached to the plant. Um, Another friend was noticing that cucumbers weren't all green. The longer she left them on the vine, the base just was not turning green. It was kind of staying yellow. Now the part closest to the stem was turning green, but Again, that's due to the prolonged heat. Uh, I hate to keep using that as an excuse, but it's true. Just like we didn't like being out in the heat, the bees didn't either. The bees were trying to take shelter and stay cool, so they just weren't moving that pollen around as much. So that either misshapen cucumber that's kind of curvy and you're not used to that, or yellow, that was due to poor pollination. So, so many different reasons, or so many different fruits and vegetables affected by the 
you know, the the hot weather and really we had no control over that. You did your best to try to, you know, you could remove suckers from the tomato plants. That's if you look at the stem of the plant, any branch that comes out, but then another little stem that'll come out almost like at a diagonal, like a 45 degree angle from the branches. Those are tomato suckers. You could remove those to give a little bit of energy back to the plant. Those aren't really going to produce any flowers at this point. Um, be removing the dead leaves and things like that on the tomatoes. And next week, I think I want to talk about tomato pruning. You know, some of the tomatoes, of course, get so tall and they outgrow the cages and they start to bend over and they start to break. So a lot of you may wonder, well, how much pruning can I do to a tomato plant? So I think I want to cover that. But just removing the dead parts of the plant that are just really wasting energy from it. And also poor pollination. When you also saw a lot of tomato plants may have put on the flowers. You know, if they're indeterminate, they're going to produce throughout the summer. They don't flush out their their crop all at one time. And you may have seen a lot of the tomato plants with the yellow flowers, and then nothing came of it, right? The next couple of days when you went down to check, the blooms weren't there, but there was there was no fruit either. So what I learned about that, the blooms on the tomato, it's, it's self-pollinating. You know, it has the male and female parts where it doesn't really need bees to visit it. The pollen moves around in the flower by itself. But it has 48 hours to pollinate that flower. Once you see a little yellow flower, 48 hours, then it needs to be pollinated. And if that doesn't happen, the flower just aborts and then there's no fruit. So that was really interesting to learn. And, you know, we talk about an electric toothbrush or going out there and just shaking the flower and making sure that pollen moves around. But a lot of it just stalled out because it was so hot and no breeze. Pollen wasn't moving around the plant. So you may have experienced that too. 404 872 when we come back, we'll talk to an old friend and your call, too, next on 95.5 WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. I like that. That kind of encompasses anything. Hey, we talked about recycling and sustainability at one of the biggest venues in Metro Atlanta. So that, that could fall under the category of stuff. But it all goes back to the environment and us being all copacetic and happy living amongst one another, right? We want beautiful stuff in our yards and our landscapes and our parks, and uh, you're a part of that, too. 404-872-0750 is the number to get on to Green and Growing this morning. Here with you until 9 o'clock, and as I mentioned, I'm going to have Armor Wildlife Management on, so uh, start thinking about those questions about uh, repelling deer, maybe have problems with some rabbits or raccoons. Uh, We talked about snakes. I had Trent on maybe a month ago talking about snakes. And uh, I've got a good post on the Facebook page. It was actually just a garden tip maybe a couple of Wednesdays ago, if you scroll down the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page, um, with pictures of, I think there's maybe four or five venomous snakes that we see here in Georgia, and pictures of them right there. So you know which ones are venomous. Thank goodness there's less venomous than non-venomous. So if you can just remember what these four look like, everybody else is okay. You leave the non-venomous guys alone. Uh, But we'll be talking about any of that. So, yeah, if you have questions about that, go ahead and get on now, and you'll talk to Michael, and he'll take your name and where you're calling from. You tell him what you're calling about. 
And it's that easy. And then you can listen to the program through the phone while you're on hold. Um, And also, I want you to make sure next Friday, my newsletter comes out, the Green and Growing newsletter through WSB, uh, every other Friday. Thank goodness. I don't think I could do every week, but I'm already working on that. So when you go to WSBradio.com, our homepage, right there in the upper right-hand corner, there's little icons for Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And there's an envelope, and that's where you sign up for the newsletter. You can opt in for my newsletter, uh, for Dave Baker and the Home Fix-It show, the top three things from Scott Slade and Atlanta's Morning News, and I believe Jamie Dupree's newsletter is still there as well. So all you do is enter your email address, and you can get on for that. And, of course, yeah, follow the Facebook page, Green and Growing WSB. I try to post about every day. And I'm going to be off, full disclosure, next Saturday, but I have worked for a month on the show that you're going to hear when I'm away next Saturday. Really, really awesome interviews, field trips that I did. You know I love my field trips. Uh, Went to the Cox Arboretum in Canton, and I got to see trees growing well right here in metro Atlanta that are also present throughout other parts of the world, other countries. And they're doing just fine, and they're nice and cozy in Canton, Georgia. Interviewed Tom Cox, who has such a passion and a knowledge about conifers and different trees all over the world. And he has traveled the world and met a lot of fascinating people. So my interview with him and Dr. Alan Armitage, who is kind of a rock star in the world of horticulture, uh, went up to the UGA trial garden at the beginning of June and walked around and saw plants that are not even on the market yet. Breeders from all over the world. Again, this was kind of an international couple of days for me. Uh, Breeders from all over the world send their new hybrids and new plants to the University of Georgia And then they carefully plant those plugs, plants, seeds, and they're on full display right now in the summertime. And students and volunteers and interns there at UGA are taking copious notes about what works well with those flowers, how they're performing, because we have heat and humidity, right? So if plants can survive that, then they can survive just about anywhere. So that was really cool, my walkabout with uh, Dr. Alan Armitage there, and then went to his home, he and his wife's lovely home right there in the classic city. And I learned a lot just from looking at his personal garden, his beautiful outdoor oasis in his backyard. Not a lot of space, but boy, there's a lot of plants and it's so tastefully done. Stressed me out a little bit to think about gardening all of that stuff all within such a small space. But he, there's a method to his madness. I can't wait for you to hear it. And then we're going to be talking to Pike Nursery, of course, next week as well. It's National Blueberry Month. So happy National Blueberry Month. We'll be talking to the Southern Living Plant Collection and uh, Pike Nurseries about blueberries. So if you've wanted to try your hand, you got to tune in in the 8 o'clock hour next Saturday. We'll give you everything you need to know. The varieties, yes, you have to have two different types of varieties so they can pollinate one another. But there's just a great ornamental shrub, too. I mean, the bonus is the fruit. But, hey, they're, they're nice to look at. They have good fall color, too, because their leaves will change color. So that's going on next Saturday. Going on right now, though, on the phone, starting to line them up, our friend Nicole calling from Griffin. Hello, Nicole. Ashley. How are you? Fine, fine. You know, I got to say, my producer, DeMarco, was like, oh, my gosh, Nicole, we haven't heard from her in so long. So DeMarco says hello. All right, all right. <laughs> uh, talking about blueberry, that's where I'm going this morning. Where? Um, I didn't get, uh, I think the frost got a little late, so I'm going to go to uh, Concord to see uh, if I can get some. And blackberry and peaches, peaches. Is they have different variety. So I'm going to go uh, there and uh, changing subject. Now, where's, well, where's, you have to tell me, where's Concord? Is that in Georgia? <laughs> you said I'm going to Concord. What does that mean? Concord means um, 
uh, Williamson and down to Griffin oh, is a okay. peach farm. Peach farm. Okay, cool. And they have so many variety. They uh, last a long time, maybe uh, the month before until September. So that's a long season. Then they have uh, blueberry and blackberry. You know, uh, I say leave the peaches up to the pros. I mean, it's really cool to have a home orchard and do your apples and your pears and your peaches. But ironically, us being the peach state, um, there's a lot of things that can plague peach trees here in Georgia. So people often are just so disappointed with a low yield or a lot of damaged fruit. So when you just go to someone that knows what they're doing and you can pick different varieties of peaches, you'll be happy. Well, uh, I go, you know, Orlando um, every uh, every week, okay, and I see uh, off uh, Fall Valley because the soil is not the same as us, okay. The soil of Fall Valley making Columbus it used to be the uh, the well uh, because. Uh, uh, the well sand because the 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 heart change all the time. Okay, mm-hmm. so the sand over there because peach need a lot of uh, a lot of uh, um, oxygen to the root. Don't put peach. Don't put no rocks or anything around. They just need a lot. But anyway, they change variety because I can see those fields blooming. Uh, blooming during uh, the springtime right. because one is is blooming purple and the next one they have so many uh they they will ad- adapt okay because here also is uh oh, clay what Ashley, when I came here from Canada, I could not believe I said, I cannot go anything with clay. You have to uh, put some sand, put some good soil. The clay is going to pound and pound after so many years. You All know, right. we've, we're in the Piedmont region of Georgia. And then as you're mentioning, kind of middle Georgia, that area is the upper coastal plain. So, yeah, once they get out of the foothills of the mountains, that soil really starts to change being in the coastal plain of the state. And then, of course, the further south you go almost to Florida, lower coastal plain where you are going to see a lot of sandy soil. You're right. Oh, yeah. It's just incredible. Columbus got a good um, uh, place because they have a lot of humidity and uh, uh, Fort Valley is the same thing, uh, making Columbus and all is. But anyway, changing subject. (laughs) You want to talk about snakes. I heard you. (laughs) Oh, oh, right. I have a lot of big pampa grass, you know. You have to cut them every year. But inside of it is all hollow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. The snake is going to go there to have their babies, and they can uh, go around and change skin. Yeah, that's gross. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's good because uh, those are not, uh, those are the big black snake, they eat rats and they eat all kind of stuff around your house, you know. So those are the good snake. Boy, boy, you should see them when you cut those pampa grass. Ew! All oh. those babies come out. <laughs> so do you, do you see just the skins or you actually see the baby snakes? You see the baby snake? Uh. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would. I'll be full disclosure, though. Uh, my husband will scream like a little girl when he sees a snake, and that doesn't bother me as much. I'm that way when I see a roach, and I think I probably should be a little more afraid of the snake. But I am roaches are my nemesis. Like that, I will lose my mind. But uh, snakes, I mean, yeah, they're they're terrifying for a lot of people. Well, we need we need them, okay, to eat the um, the bad stuff, okay. 
Uh, I was listening to um, the one before you this morning. You were uh-huh. talking about the O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Oh, he just had a good show this morning. I learned a lot mm-hmm. because of the deer, and you know. Then you have the armadillo, and you have the uh, the fox, and oh, rats! I just uh, because I live in the woods, so every day you have to deal with them. Yeah, and as long as they keep their distance, it's beautiful. I enjoy the wildlife. I get the bunnies and the foxes from time to time, and the deer, of course. And you know, it's funny you're talking about that because we're going to be talking to a wildlife specialist here in just a little bit on just kind of how to live in harmony you know with them especially you spend hundreds of dollars on your landscape plants and you know the deer come along and they're hungry and they eat the stuff you just spend a lot of money on so we want to keep them safe but uh also protect you know our landscapes and the stuff we spend money on yeah yeah Yeah. just uh to me uh let nature take care of nature and well you talk about pampas grass nicole and the snakes living in the the base of the pampas grass also i've seen recently a lot of posts people need to be careful if you leave a bag of opened garden soil, you know, or potting soil or whatever, and it's just maybe been under the stairs or under the deck, they'll nest in that too. So you go to pick up that bag of opened soil and think you're going to go use it somewhere else, and there could be like baby snakes in it. So just be careful. Be be very cautious with <laughs> what you pick up around outside if it's something that's been in place for a long time. All right. So uh, if you have time changing subject, it's time for um, creeping, uh, uh, creep, creep model. Great myrtle, yeah, yeah. Oh, we see them blooming. Aren't everywhere. they fantastic? What's your favorite color of of crepe myrtle? Well, I, I, you know, I picked up one many years ago. They had three colors, the oh, same thing. What? But now, it, it, some of them smell so good, you know. Huh. Oh, but you need to be careful where you plant them. Oh yeah, yeah. All the suckers. Oh, they can be huge. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, if you let all the suckers grow, those will eventually become new trunks. So you'll have you'll have a quite a crowded little space. But I'll never forget being in a bank parking lot years and years ago in the summer and they had like a deep red flower the crepe myrtles had a deep like wine red and that was one of the prettiest ones i've ever seen but i'm used to seeing the purples and the whites and the hot pinks you know they're all just so gorgeous right now they can tolerate the heat for sure yeah because that that you know that's the time of the year i remember this deep red Actually, when I came here, I wanted anything that's got bloom on. Oh, what? I plant everything. Yeah. <laughs> because in Canada, we don't have maybe two months, you know, um, stuff bloom. After that, you get, go back to cool. So I wanted everything. And they lily. Oh, Ashley. They look good, don't they? All kind of colors. I uh, used to go. Um, I know you had a person last year, uh, last week. Uh, she was a, 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 a really good daylily. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, yeah, and daylily are really easy. You just take that five or six female, uh, male, and one female in the in the middle. Uh, you just uh, mix them, and you got new daylily. Oh, are you talking about the way you hybridize them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, that's really kind of a fun process to create all different colors and shapes and ruffled petals and all that kind of thing yeah she's got a place up in dawson county uh where people around father's day i think is really when it the show really starts or right before father's day of all the beautiful day lilies and they're still going strong you're right and they're drought tolerant too they can take the lack of rain you know oh yeah and they come back every year uh almost the same color but maybe hmm, there's a bee that decide to do his nest it's going to change color you know but I, I realize that if you let them go wild, they go back to the wild, too. Mm-hmm. 
you know, no matter what color you want them. Well, boy, there's a show, too. Oh, gosh, you're right. Well, I hope, Nicole, if you have to travel around for work this weekend, that your travels keep you very safe. A lot of folks on the road, and, of course, they're tunnel vision in a hurry to get to where they're going, but I know you're going to be one of the responsible ones. You're going to drive really carefully. Forty years in it. Yeah. And I still come back in one piece without (laughs) killing anybody. You say a prayer every day. That's right. Well, be careful, and I'm really glad you delighted all of us by calling this morning. So you give us a call anytime. You know where to find me. Enjoy your day, Ashley. All right. And don't work too hard. Oh. No, ma'am. Mm-mm. After about 10 o'clock this morning, I'm done. Stick a fork <laughs> in me. I'm done. <laughs> Bye. Happy July 4th, Nicole. Same to you. Bye. All right. Thank you so much. 404-872-0750 to be on just like Nicole was on Green and Growing. We'll be right back on WSB. Just a glimpse at your weekend forecast brought to you by Channel 2 meteorologist Brad Nitz. Of course, there is a chance for scattered thunderstorms today and tomorrow. It's at about 40%, maybe afternoon and evening storms rolling through, but you know they don't last long. And then rain into the week, and it kicks off with the holiday, the July 4th holiday on Monday. But then chances of rain uh, go up on Tuesday and Wednesday. The full forecast coming up in less than 10 minutes. Green Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. Okay. How about number one? Number one, mound up uh, a, a row of dirt, good soil, some mulch, and plant pumpkin seeds. You've got until about mid-July if you want them to time out well to have them ready by fall. Only plant the seeds about an inch deep. Make sure the vines have plenty of room in the surrounding area. They're going to just go crazy, but they're going to be beautiful, and you'll have some pumpkins in no time. Number two, Japanese beetle damage. You may see it now on the leaves of crepe myrtles, roses, maples, and some other plants. Those are just some common ones. Uh, They cause the leaves to have a skeletal look. And you know these Japanese beetles are kind of the iridescent green guys. Pretty tiny, but uh, very, very harmful, very damaging to a lot of plants. Not many pesticides are effective. Um, Some are and like a imidacloprid, I think, and it'll it'll work, but then you continue to see the beetles because they're just reproducing that fast and the grubs are becoming adults. So it seems like you're not knocking them back. You are killing a few, but then it's replaced with just as many. So set traps, maybe. The traps have some, you know, hormone that attract the beetle, but set the traps away. You would think you'd want it near the plant uh, where the beetles are damaging that plant. But no, you want to set it away from that plant. That way, some aren't going to escape the trap and still continue to damage the plant. And scout out the adults and the grubs in early spring. This is something that we could have gotten ahead of maybe a month and a half, two months ago. And number three, if you plan on planting this weekend, you want to put the garden gloves on, consider red, white, and blue, right? And you think, well, there's not a lot of blue plants. Well, there are. There are some that are purple that have kind of a bluish look. Blue salvia is beautiful right now, nice and tall. And of course, attracting the bees. Veronica, agapanthus. If that's something you've not seen before, agapanthus is really a cool, stalky looking, stemmy blue flower. It's just absolutely beautiful. Um, Hydrangeas, of course, macrophylla, mop head hydrangeas. And then if you're thinking about just bedding annuals, maybe pentas, vinca, geraniums, some begonias too. Those would be nice, white or red. 
and keep potted plants and container gardens watered regularly. Thank goodness. I don't think that's going to be really on your to-do list this week because the rain's going to take care of that. 404-872-0750. We have some questions about picking tomatoes off the vine and tomato hornworm, what that looks like and why you need to be very aware of that and the chance you might see it on your tomatoes coming up here in the next few days or weeks. And Carl and Roswell, when to pick sweet potatoes. So I've got some information for him and for you. 404-872-0750. And don't forget to start calling in with your wildlife questions, whether it's snake or deer or raccoons or bunnies. I think my guest, Trent Ellis from Armor Wildlife Management, coming up in just a little bit will be able to help you. Stay tuned. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSP.